You got it? I got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> lead us out of Egypt, Scott. Lead us out of Egypt. You know what my favorite New Yorker car scene is? No. There's this picture of Moshe. He's leading people through uh, the split sea. And the people right behind him says, yeah, he's all right. But I wish he was better on Israel. <laughs> it's just like the greatest. Ra- I don't know what genius who understood the heart and soul of a rabbi. <laughs> I love it. 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 All right. Well, welcome I, to welcome to Passover. Passoverify. Passoverify. Or we could say Pesachify. Pesachify. Passing over the airways to your ears. Skipping uh, over. Passover. Yes, we are not skipping over any satellite. No satellite will go unconnected. That's right. We skip over no parts of the Seder during this particular. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are all like turning off the podcast now. You're I know, like, like, who's like, who wants to listen to that? <laughs> we want to eat. Oh, that's right. like one of my favorite. I remember we used to do a um, the downtown Seder, which was really an event that um, Michael Dorff used to have at all places downtown, including at his place, City Winery, which was an amazing place. And now is reopening on the Hudson and 15th Street, a plug for this incredible spot, which is now also playing music for the first time. Okay, all that to say, um, there was uh, one guest who came up and who did that song. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. <laughs> we have to put that in the podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's definitely take it under consideration. Speaking of let's eat, I think we need to get uh, to the good music. So this first one actually came off one of those great rising song podcasts that I think that uh, Rabbi Yosef Goldman's in involved in oh they're so good anyways this is uh, Nile Waves by Sudanese jazz band the Scorpions
Like we can have them. There's a huge debate going on right now, by the way, behind the scenes on the podcast. I just want to play for you what Hazan Vasi thinks we should be playing at the beginning of the podcast. Here it is. to Pharaoh in Egypt. The year was 1492. Hitler had just invaded Poland. Madonna had just become a Jew. Moses was For those who are interested, Kozan Basia is dancing on the other side of the screen right now. She's sort of swaying slowly. He came back to free us from our bondage. Wait, this is what this is what our podcast should be? Well, you know what? First of all, in your attempt to try to prove that I sh- we should not play it, you played it, at least part of it. Yes, you you've you've won the argument. Like de facto you've won the argument. I I think humor is I think it's okay to start with humor. Because then we can relax. Like the, we're in a now, we're all laughing a little bit, and now we can we can be more receptive to the themes of and the burdens of slavery and freedom. Well, it's hard to argue with that. It's like so funny when you say radio silence, and it's actually we're on the radio, <laughs> and, and there's silence. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I hear you. It's just. Um... You remember those schlocky bands, like in that, like the two live Jews and um, all these like Jewish. Schlock rock. Yeah, schlock rock. Um, I think there's a difference between like schlock rock and because schlock rock would take like famous songs and turn them into funny, like um, funny parodies. But um, the this song is actually just a new song. With a theme, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat, which is so familiar and so funny because it's so true. Like, there's not one Seder that does not actually have, like, that sentiment in it. As people are discussing all the deep themes, we're like, come on, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. Like, I want my matzo ball soup now. I have to say that I, like, this is getting more serious by the second and I'm getting worried. So, right, now that you're worried because it's serious... Then we should go back to the song and just play that song again. No, let's eat to the end because that's what Hazan Basia wants. No, 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 no. I want to leave. Chase us to the border. There's a parting of the water. Tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Then the Pharaoh, who looked like your Brenner, heard the Jews were trying to escape. Charleston Heston came right down from the mountain. He said, Arrow, you're a damn dirty ape. The menorah was almost out of oil. Farrakhan was planning crystal knot. The gefilte was nearing extinction. It looked like Moses and his flock were forgot. They tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. They tried to kill us, we were faster on our feet. And we knew how to resist, cause we rented Schindler's List. Tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat.
I was reading all, been reading all these stories of the best of the Baal Shem Tov. And like the days before Pesach for him were all the same. He was always trying to stop some plot against the Jews. Like every best story is about a blood libel. Like it's not, fu- it's not, it's, it's funny because it's not funny. And right. And, and you know what interesting, like, like we're joking about the song before, but like, you know, the best was actually dealing in truth, in reality, in history, in live time, what this song is kind of satirizing. Right. So for me, the thing is that, you know, I read it 
you know, it hurts my heart to see that this was the reality in which people lived in. And at the same time, like our reality is pain is, is tough in a different kind of a way. And I always like, I just wonder about what it means to relate to the stories and the texts and the meaning that was so true for them. And then kind of like misses the mark a little bit for us, you know? Well, say more about that. Cause I, I'm, Look, the best before every Pesach, the best there's this one story in Shivchei Abesh. It's a collection of stories about the Baal Shem Tov, in which like everyone's about to um, do something Pesach related, either bake matzah. Like the, this is how the story always starts. He watches a bear being led down the street because that's what people do. They would have like these dancing bears. So he leads. So he gets out of the shul. He's davening. He gets out of the shul. He follows the bear. People assume that he's like going to come back. He doesn't come back. So all of the Tell me him, all the Hasidim follow him. He walks into the town, bear snaps its leech, breaks into the church, digs up the altar, and finds like the material for the blood libel for this year, where they're how they're going to accuse the Jews. And then the Besh goes back to Davening. And what happens? That's it. That's it. He because they found the material, like the blood libel is off. Everybody saw and everybody knew. And all the stories are about him preventing these like horrible, horrible, horrible experiences. That's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. I, say, I, th I think what it's also bringing me to think about is the power of storytelling and the best brought the power of storytelling to the Jewish tradition in a way that no other spiritual leader, at least in the last thousand years, has been able to do. And I think Pesach, the Magid, which is the heart of the Seder, the storytelling aspect is such a powerful piece. I think the ability to also tell our own stories in the context of the larger freedom narrative. Right. Because that's what he was doing, right? He was living a Magid, right? He, he was telling his own story, like a Pesach story. Question for me is, do I tell that story to my sons? how do I tell that story to my sons? Because what you just said to me is like, is the icker, right? How do we write our own stories into it? Is the best story my story? Do you know what I'm I saying? I think it is your story when it resonates to you in a way that makes you feel like it brings out a story of your own that you need to tell. So I think, you know, you know it's not about just one story. We, we read the narrative in the Haggadah. We bring out stories that feel super alive to us because they... They tell a story that is our own story without being our own direct story, but but it's tuned to a, something that we're thinking about or feeling, and then we could tell our own story. So maybe there's there's like a step by step storytelling process. Radio silence. Radio <laughs> silence. No, I'm thinking like you 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 have such great points. It's what what's occurring to me as you're saying it though, is that like the Besh was doing something incredible, like he was living the Magid. But it's horrible to live the Magid, right? The, the mitzvah is to see yourself as if you left Egypt. And Best is showing us piece by piece, like what it means for him in his time, in his place to leave Egypt. But all those stories are dangerous stories. All those stories are stories of, of crisis averted, of, of, of real tough stuff. Right. And I think that the story of Passover is crisis averted, is liberation yeah. for a, up to a point. And that's why we say, and next year, may we be free because this year we're never yeah. fully free. There's never a full freedom. There's always a step towards freedom. Especially not this year. But I think that 
the one of the things maybe we're hearing is like there is an imperative to live the story, right? Pesach just the the Haggadah can't just be at the seder plate. There has to be something to tell about us about our own lives. Like we have to we have to walk our amagid absolutely. And in the world, there there are magids that we have to put ourselves into so that the story can be told. Exactly, and it's interesting. Now we're about to we're about to play a song by Deborah Sachs Mintz, a musical magid of sorts, and she's also our guest this uh, this um, edition. And she's we're going to first play a song called Makom Bina, um, and I love that this is also kind of highlighting for me at least um, the power of Bina, which is a, a very feminine a feminine aspect of the ten Svirot. And in the story of Passover, you don't really see the women in the Seder. They're like the absent, but you have Vihisha Amda, which you shared with me, this beautiful commentary of, of, um, of Art Green. And um, he didn't say this explicitly, but this is what I read into it. Vihisha Amda, and she stood up, Lavotenu, against, against like patriarchal aspects of our system. And I think nobody, nobody um, exhibits this as as beautifully as um, Deborah Saxman's, I think, in our generation, in terms of her power, her she's a, she's almost a rabbi, and her music is so empowering and so feminine and so exuberant, um, and so excited to play her music, to actually sing her music in our services, and to have the opportunity for uh, Rabbi Scott and I to talk with her so soon. Amazing, amazing, and we're gonna play now. Makombina with one caveat, which is that you embody it too.
Wow, we are so excited to welcome incredible musician and almost rabbi Deborah Saxmans to the podcast. Deborah, we're talking about the Haggadah. Great. And our frustrations with it. Yeah, I do wonder if the Haggadah, it's not really, it's not really designed, especially its role in the Seder for like taking a lot of time to do deep learning, right? Like so often we're just kind of rushing through the motions so we can get to the end. So I do sort of wonder what its original, what was like the dream of the sages when they were even compiling that in the first place? Like what was the dream? That's a great question. What was the dream? Or were they totally, totally, totally under the um, influence of alternate types of medicinal? Oh, you're saying the Haggadah was written while drunk? Or... <laughs> That would explain the math. That would explain the math section. <laughs> also, Haggadah. There's a lot of math. Who knows one? Who knows two? Who knows three? And plague math. Plague math is the best part. Yeah. Maybe, yes. maybe we should write a song just about the section on the plague math because that's that's like a that's like a really um, like an underutilized text. Like the 10 equals 100 equals 50. One arm equals one finger is 10. 10 fingers equal 100. Not like quite like that because I just I haven't looked at the Haggadah, but is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Great. Sounds like it's going to be a real winner. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next hit. That'll be great. I think it's like the way to teach kids multiplication in yeshivas. <laughs> Oh, that's, man. that's the way to sneak. That's the way to sneak multiplication in a Satmar school, for example. I just want to say how glad I am that I'm recording this. <laughs> just everyone, keep a lookout for my next hit song about plague, plague math. <laughs> coming to a coming to a singing circle near you. Yeah, my son is mainly just obsessed with the four questions. And um, Shira Klein's um, version of it on Spotify. Oh, we're going to have to look that up. It's great. Maybe we'll bring it to the podcast. And we're reading Charlotte's Web. So, are you reading Charlotte's Web? You know, he, he the, the one kid in my son's class who's just turned five, but who's also like kind of Harvard bound. Because like this kid knows how to read and write already. It's like kind of mind boggling. He had a birthday party yesterday. And as party favors, they got like umbrellas and the book Charlotte's Web. So he's not interested in it, by the way. The reason I bring it up is it because my, um, my mom wanted to read Charlotte's Web with my niece. And she flipped out from the first moment of the book, which talks about like slaughtering pigs like it's the pigs are going off to slaughter and i actually am like I, I wonder if there's something there in terms of like i don't remember thinking that that was a weird thing when i was a kid like it's so interesting to see a snapshot of like the of what it was like then and what it's like now but my niece <laughs> lives she will not read that book and, and also fern the you know fern's older brother who's 10 goes to school with us with a shotgun so that's something also a little weird oh yeah <laughs> Wow. Our kids are being raised in a very different time. Like, well, we're also, we're vegetarians in our house. So I don't know if Nadav even has a sense of like, like killing animals for meat, if that's like even a concept in the world. Huh. That's so beautiful. 
Well, I mean, we'll see what his rebellion is. So <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna grow. He's gonna <clears throat> he's gonna work for grow and behold. They, you know, I should be so. That would be an okay rebellion. That would be a decent. Yeah. <clears throat> Not so bad. So I just wonder. I just wonder if it relates to Pesach at all in terms of like. I wonder how they heard the story. I wonder how they heard the four children. I wonder how they heard aspects of the story. I wonder how they heard the plagues in light of how we hear them. Like, can a story, like it's doing a great job, but can a story really stay eternal? And especially aspects of the story that were meant to evoke one thing and are now evoking something else um, because the world has changed so much. Well, we already see that with Pour Out Your Wrath, right? Like we've, that that edition was added at a really particular time in Jewish history that made so much sense. And, you know, I know I and many others find that particular passage less relevant now. And there's a new passage, Pour Out Your Love, that is in some Haggadahs. And um, like that piece has not felt eternal. That piece has felt really like mamish, like matched to a particular moment in time where that was so necessary. And yet other parts of the story have remained eternal or maybe just have felt less um, like indirect conflict to our values. I think that was well said. Um, which parts do you feel that way about? That feel that feel eternal and less indirect conflict with our values? Um, I think the I think the general sense of the need to remember our own internal oppression every year and sort of enact that in a sort of great theatrical ritual that feels needed every year, no matter where we are in life. Like the need to look back and remember and act that out every time, like lest we ever forget, um, and then also like map our own pain onto that. And map our redemption onto that every year. Just the whole shebang. I love how you articulated that. We had, that was part of what we were talking about as well, right before you arrived. Um, but I love the way you articulated it. Um, I think also, <clears throat> just while we, you know, we have you here, what's your favorite song in the Haggadah? Just curious. Ooh. Well... I'm a big fan of Yonatan Razel's melody for Vahisha Amda. How does it go? How does it go? Vahisha Amda Lavodeinu. Vahisha Amda Lavodeinu Elanu. That one gets me every time. So beautiful. Yeah. Deborah, but which one is that? That was Vahisha Amda. So what's that for you? Is that eternal or... Because the meaning is super, in each and every generation, they stood up to destroy us. Yeah, that's a great question. It, it's interesting because I think of, when I think of my favorite songs or my most compelling melodies or just like the songs that sort of get me in my kishkas, I'm first thinking of 
the melody before the text and the way it carries me in that particular melody, especially the B section. It's just like that big heart opening. And then thinking, I, I like your invitation to think more about that particular text that, like why we're singing this melody for the text that in every generation they sought to destroy us and, and the Kadosh Baruch Hu, um, you know, will, will save us and, and be our salvation. Um, I, I hear it a little bit as a reminder that there's always hope and that the focus shouldn't even be on the destruction, but what can happen between us and the Kadosh Baruch Hu if we decide to lean into that hope. And that feels eternal. I think it's interesting for those of us who have relationships to texts like these, where the text stays the same and we move around them, that you know you can chart the course of your emotions about how the text strikes you, makes you feel how you relate to it for, from year to year. And it would look almost like the rings of a tree on some level. I'm really taken by this idea that the music can change. The music adds a dimension that can that can change almost anything about a text. Well, that's why we need, you know, you can never have too many melodies for one text because the melodies change with the ways that we change. And, you know, the impetus to like read the whole Torah every year isn't because, you know, we don't, we don't know it well enough or we forgot it. It's because we change and we need to find the newness. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot about melodies for, the most singy parts of our davening, like Kabbalah Shabbat or Hallel. And, um, you know, we have like hundreds of melodies for Lachad Odi, but I would never say like, okay, we have enough now, stop composing them, right? Because we're always new. We're always welcoming Shabbat new. We're always like praying new and um, with with new yearnings and fears and traumas and, and joys and griefs. And we need that. We need the newness of the melodies. Deborah, I know you brought something beautiful for us today. Great. Thank you. Um, it's First of all, it's just such a pleasure to be able to be part of this um, show and um, to talk with you both. And I admire both of you so much, and it's, it's really nice. Um, so I'm going to share, uh, in the spirit of approaching Pesach, I'm going to share a melody of mine for Psukim, for verses from Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs. And the verse that is repeated over and over again as the chorus of this song is Anila Dodi Vedodili, which we translate as um, I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me, um, which I've always found so special because it's, it's really about mutual connection. And in this moment of distance and isolation, it feels almost like saying, I am for my community and my community is for me. Shoshanim, 
Bossy, you're saying that beautifully, but I cannot pronounce it the same way that you. Half of our conversation on the podcast is about pronunci- is about pronunciation. <laughs> it's, it's pronunciation, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think it's Shebish. She, oh, now I can't. Oh, it's ruining me. I had it. No, well, no, no, no. You, you want to tell us about this song that I can't pronounce? Yeah, it's called the it's Yiddish. It's Shebish Lafleinu. Um, you want to? I, one funny, funny little anecdote is that Shebish Lafleinu was supposed to be on my 2007 album called Haran, but our producer Frederick Rubens hated the title Shebish Lafleinu so much he couldn't stand the title. He said, "I cannot put, I cannot put a, a song called Shebish Lafleinu on an album that I produce." So we. <laughs> We literally had to shelf the whole out, the whole song, and I had to re-record it for um, for uh, the the next Faradar album, which came out like seven years later. It takes me like pretty much uh, shemitah to finish an album nowadays. Um, but uh, the words Shebish Lefleinu really are beautiful in terms of the message of Pesach, which is. Shevish Lefleinu from like the lowest parts in our low, 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 lowest place. Zachar Lanu, you remembered us. Vayifrekenu mitzaredu, and you released us from our narrowness, from our foes. And so I really think that these two lines in the Kilio Olam Chasto, which we do sing before the Nishmat Kol Chai after Hallel on the, in the Seder. It's kind of like this unknown moment in the Seder. And it was very... Um, it was very elevated in our family because this was the moment that my father like would be super, super, super uh, inebriated and flushed faced. And this is the song where he would sing with gusto banging on the table and hopping around the whole room and like flaming. And it was, and it was like, and it's like one of my most fondest memories. So, um, when I had the opportunity to um, like compose, and I was re- I recorded a new melody of my own, and so that's the first part of the song. And the second part of the song is the traditional, the one I grew up with. And I invited my friends from Chalent, the ones that who grew up Orthodox, you know, Hasidish, and then they left, and I brought them into the studio, and they did it, and it was so much fun. You know, the podcast isn't over yet, but. Um... I think it's time for a bracha. It's time for the bracha. So, because I think you've, you've you've hit on something. You know, Shabishiflenu. Like, it's been a Bishiflenu kind of year. Shabishiflenu <laughs> kind of year. Right. And um, Shefel means low. You know. Yes. But one of the most beautiful teachings of the Talmud is from Rabbi Yochanan, who says, you know. Every time that you every time you find the greatness of the God, of God, you also find God's 
being with the humble, God's humility. He quotes from the prophets, Ko Amar, Ram Venisa, so says the one who is mighty, exalted, Shochen Ad, who lives forever, who dwells forever, Vikadosh and holy. Ruach, I am with the ones who feel crushed and those who are Shefel Ruach, those who are Bishiflainu. Wherever you are, if that's how you're feeling right now, I want you to know that from the moment that you start your Seder, you're being lifted up, up, up. You're taking from she, uh, from Shiabud, from slavery, internal, external, wherever it is, right? All the way to, what's the word? What's the word for the Seder? Why am I blanking? Geula? No. Me, you start with Ganai and you begin with Shevach. No, you start with Ganai and you end with Shevach and you begin with Shabud and then you get to Cherut. Right. Why am I, I said Cherut. I thought you said something else, actually. On that note, <laughs> uh, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Chag Sameach. Miyashiabud Lecherut from slavery to freedom. We'll see you on the all on the other side of the sea together. And now let's get those goats. <laughs> Here's Chad, Chava Alberstein's version of Chad Gadya.
All right, so we should make brachas? Yeah, I think, I don't know, some of you are going to be listening on Friday as Shabbat is coming in. Some of you are listening on Shabbat day when Shabbat is already here. Some of you might be listening on Sunday when you actually have a moment and Shabbos is over. But either way, blessings are really always welcome. So please join us. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav V'tzivanu l'halik ne'er shel Shabbat Amen Grab a cup, fill it up with wine or grape juice Seltzer Seltzer? I mean, if you're not using the seltzer for the matzo balls, then use it for the kiddush. <laughs> Grab a cup, fill it up with wine or with grape juice, and especially blessings. Lift it up with us, hold it in your hand, fingers together, as we should all be unified in our hearts and our souls. And here's the blessing over kiddush. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam. Ore priagafen. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher kiddushanu b'mitzvotav eratzavanu. V'shabbat kodesho be'avav ratzon inchilanu. Zikaron lemaaseh v'reishit. Ki hu yom techila lemikra'e kodesh. Zecher letziyad mitraim. Kivanu v'acharta. Yotanu kidashta mikol haamim, Vishabat kochecha, Beahava uvratson hinchaltanu, Baruchata Adonai, Mikadesh hashabat. Baruchata Adonai, Eloheinu ruachalam. Hamotzi lechem in haaretz. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Had God yoch, had God yoch. Had God yoch, had God